You ever been in a situation where it was challenging to believe the Lord? You all can probably relate to that. I think it's challenging. You know, you get, you, you're challenged to do that on a on a daily basis um, with with life. It's always a challenge to believe what God says when you feel differently, when the circumstances around you uh, seem to say the opposite of what uh, of what God's word uh, says. I can remember uh, the very first week. Uh, in the office at uh, at Timberlake, those of you who are around know that that was a rather challenging time. And here I came to the church thinking that everything is fine, there's no issue, and then issue after issue begins to, to, to crop up the very first week. It was about three days into, uh, into my time at Timberlake when I got handed the budget for Timberlake Christian Schools that had $400,000 in the red when it was supposed to be about $100,000 in the black. Um, a $500,000 swing from when I was in the pulpit committee in the time then. And, of course, it's nobody's fault. It's, it's a matter of enrollment. You don't really know what you're going to get. But what we got left us $400,000 in a deficit position. I don't even know the, all the employees' names over there. I don't even know how much money's in the bank, much less how we're going to dig out of a, of a hole with the system up and running and payroll moving. And in those situations like that, you're challenged. You know, I, I, Tracy carried me food that, that first week, and I found myself saying, all right, Lord, you led me into this situation, and you're going to have to lead me through this situation. And yet the circumstances caused, it was challenging to, uh, to believe, to believe the, the Lord. There are also other times I can think when I was just sitting over there thinking about last year with a situation that happened over TCS with the, with the little girl. We had many different voices. Uh, Christians saying, what you need to do is just apologize for, for what you've done. You've, you, you need to play the media, the public. This thing has gone viral with this little girl and you're, you're on the, you know, you're on the wrong end of this one, and you just need to say face and go out there and say, you made a mistake. And, and we prayed and asked the Lord whether we had done that, and the answer came back, you know, no. We, we did the right thing. We, we, we were caring. We were loving. We stood on the Word, and so we, we, did, we did right. And the, the challenge in that situation is your school is going to lose a bunch of enrollment and, and then how are you going to pay people? And you feel personal responsibility for that. And it's, it's very, very weighty. It's challenging in those moments whether you're going to believe the Lord or whether you're going to believe what could happen based upon the, the circumstances. Last week we saw Moses had to learn that God takes obedience seriously. Uh, the Lord woos Moses to the point of agreeing to go, and He prepares him and equips him even through those, those rejections. And now Moses learns the, the lesson of, of obedience. It's required for the Lord's servants. Um, now today you're going to see how Moses and Israel faces the challenge to believe God in circumstances that can tempt a person to doubt in chapter 5, that's where we're going to be this morning, in the book of Exodus, God has actively begun to deliver Israel. 
Now, this is the first time that Moses and Aaron are going to go before Pharaoh, but God has been delivering Israel for several chapters, all the way back to chapter 1. Chapter 1 tells us that the Lord hears hears the cry of of, of Israel. In chapter 5, God has been has already actively begun to deliver Israel. He's heard their prayer. He's raised up a deliverer. He set the plan in motion. Moses is on his way. And obviously the people don't, don't know that. And whenever the plan gets started, things don't get better. They get worse, don't they? And the people then must choose who to believe. They believe Pharaoh or the Lord. Do they believe their circumstances or the words that Moses is speaking on behalf of God. And Israel is going to learn in chapter 5 and and the chapters forward that that their problem is not the bondage of Pharaoh. Their problem is believing God. That's their basic challenge. Before God can advance His plan, before He ever leads Israel out, I mean, God could just in one fell swoop just obliterated Pharaoh and the people could have walked right out of Egypt, but that's not what he chose to do because Israel needs to learn that Pharaoh isn't Israel's problem. Israel is Israel's problem. The issue isn't the trial, it's their lack of trust. They need to learn to trust God. And while Israel doesn't like it and you don't like it and I don't like it, the way we learn to trust God is being challenged in our faith. Things come that that lead us, tempt us to doubt. And our challenge in, is not the world, it's not the boss, it's not the cancer, it's not the sin. We've already won. Um, the challenge is, are we going to believe that God's Word is true in the midst of those situations? Israel needs to learn this lesson now, right out of the gate, because the trials aren't going to get less difficult, they're going to get more difficult. They're going to be tempted to discount what God has, has said. And so the Lord graciously puts this lesson right up front before He ever brings the plagues, before He ever leads them into the, into the wilderness. And it's a lesson that we all need to learn. Obedience is not always accompanied by immediate success. Don't you like it whenever it is? You obey God boom, the doors fly open and everything falls wonderfully into place. But it doesn't always work that way. That's the reason the health, wealth, gospel or the positive thinking movement or the Osteens or whoever else don't play in Nepal or China or in Syria or anywhere else because that's not the way it works in the real world. Life is not all a bed of of roses. It's not all success and prosperity There's suffering, and there's difficulty, and there's doubt, and there's discouragement. But in the midst of that, there's a God that can be trusted and who's promised to triumph over over all. That's what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. Israel needs to learn what it's like to believe God when their senses perceive something other than what He's saying to them. Well, if you're not there, open to Exodus chapter 5. And we left off at the end of chapter 4. And we left off with that story about Moses and Zipporah, how she really rescues Moses and is a contrast of obedience to his disobedience. And in verse 27, you, 
you really get the the on ramp to chapter five. So listen to Exodus four twenty seven. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness and meet Moses. And so he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. And so Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord that that he who had sent him, and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel, and Aaron spoke the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and when he looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. Key words, Israel believed and Israel bowed their heads and worshipped. It seems like a great start, doesn't it? I mean, here's Moses. He's rescued. He meets up with Aaron. Aaron says, Moses, wonderful to see you. Let me tell you the story I've got to tell you. So they go together to the elders of Israel and they hear and they see and they say, our prayers have been answered. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about their affliction, they bowed and worshipped. It seems like a great start, but as you heard when we read chapter 5, it, it, it starts well, but then starts to sputter really quickly. And I want to tell you that God is in charge of the sputtering as well as the start that's, that's really good. God's going to unfold His plan in chapter 5, and you're going to see Israel face four challenges to, to believe God in these next 23 verses. Four challenges to believe God. Pharaoh denies God in verses 1 through 5. That's going to bring a challenge to them. Pharaoh discredits Moses in verses 6 through 9. Pharaoh demoralizes Israel in verses 10 through 19. And then Israel doubts the messenger in verses 20 through 23. And each of those are a challenge to, to believe the Lord that you're going to relate to. So let's get at it. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh... Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Here, Pharaoh denies God, and and you find in this first situation, it's a challenge to believe God when others deny Him. It's a challenge to believe God when others deny Him. Deny him. I'll have a statement like that for you for each of these challenges. It's a challenge to believe God when, when others deny him. I mean, here in this very first chapter, you see Moses and Aaron going before Pharaoh, brimming with confidence. I mean, the plan is coming together. God was on their side. The, the people who once rejected Moses now listen to Moses and follow Moses. They believe, they bow, they worship Moses has his crutch Aaron. Everything's coming together, and now they come before Pharaoh, and you can almost see their chest sticking out. And They say to, to Pharaoh here, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go. And, and you can hear the thunder in their voice. They probably had a little stride in their step when the, 
when the door to Pharaoh's chamber was pulled back and they walked, they walked in. They had a message from God and they expected Pharaoh to listen. Look at verse 2. Here's how Pharaoh responds to their bold declaration. Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, nor will I obey the Lord. That's the response. Pharaoh responds with, who's the Lord? Who's your God? He's not my God. And he goes on to say, I don't know Him, and I'm not going to obey Him. And he says the question, states the question with demeaning sarcasm. I don't think Pharaoh is saying, you know, I've never heard of Yahweh. I mean, this is sarcasm. He's saying, who is he to me? A God who chooses to identify himself with slaves who are subject to me? I'm going to obey the slaves' God? Give me a break. I'm Pharaoh. I am God, is what Pharaoh would say in Egyptian theology. Why would I obey your God, not to mention on behalf your men asking on His behalf. If, if this God is worthy to listen to, why does He send the likes of you to request it? And you can sense a great change in Moses and Aaron's demeanor. Look at verse 3. And so they said, the God of the Hebrews. Is God the God of the Hebrews only? He's Pharaoh's God too, isn't He? He's the Creator God. He's the God of Pharaoh, all the Egyptians, the Hebrews, and every other person on the planet, then and today. He is God. There is no God other than our God. There's not competing religions in the world where we have to one-up the, the Muslims or, the, or whoever else it is. There is one true and living God, and Jesus Christ is His Son, period. And you hear them say, who is the response to who is the Lord, they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Um, please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest He fall upon us with pestilence and, and sword. You can sense their, their demeanor changing. And look at what Pharaoh says. Then the king of Egypt said to Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from your work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look to the people. Look, the people of the land are many now, and, and you make them rest from their, their labor. I mean, he's basically saying, so what's it to me if pestilence and sword falls on them? There's plenty of them around. Who cares if a few slaves die? And I'm not listening to you or your God. You ever been there? Ever been in a situation where somebody over you or close to you who has authority or can control something, seemingly control something in your life, just flat rejects you or your God? You wrestle with God, maybe you ask Him how you want to, how He wants you to to obey Him in, in word, and then and then yet you have to submit to a key person. There's human earthly authorities, maybe your husband. Maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's fill in the blank. And you go to them and they say, no. I can't tell you how many women I have 
had to give biblical counsel to where, where they're more spiritual than their husbands, but they don't want to lead their husbands, and so they come and say, you Pastor, I know that God says to, to give, but my husband doesn't want to tithe. He doesn't want to give. He doesn't want to do it. What should I do in that situation? I've had other situations where people want to follow God in, in a matter, and they really believe that, that God's calling them to do this. And it's not just, you know, some fanciful idea, but, but even as we talked last time, they're married and, and their spouse doesn't, doesn't see it that way, or their boss. It's, you could probably have one of those situations. I can remember going to my CEO who cussed like a sailor in every single one of our management. He wouldn't do that with the rest of the company, but when it was the five vice presidents, one of which was a woman, he'd get in there and he would, he would just take the Lord's name in vain on a regular basis. And I can remember getting up enough courage at one point to go to him privately, didn't embarrass him, didn't say anything, and I was just like, Paul, you know, you know I'm a believer. And you also know Kim, who was another vice president. She's a believer too. You profess to be. Um, you know, whenever, whenever you take the Lord's name in vain like that and curse Him, it's, it's offensive. And it shows disrespect. And I never will forget, he leaned back in his desk and he said, if I want to say blank, and he said the word, I'll say blank, and he said the word. If I want to curse, I'll curse. And then he ripped off about five different ex- expletives. And what are you going to do about it? And I remember looking at him saying, well, there's nothing that I can do about it. You're the boss and, and I'm not. But I'll tell you what I will do. I'll pray for you. I'll pray that the Lord will get a hold of your heart and will show you that it's disrespectful to Him and to others. But I can remember in that moment that great trepidation. I can remember the build-up, even going in to have the conversation. You've probably been there. Pharaoh flatly rejects God. Someone in your life flatly rejects God and they have authority over you. And in those cases, it's a challenge to believe God, but that's exactly what we're called to do. When you're faced with this, you have to remember that God does things very different from the way that you might expect. He moves in different ways than human methods. I mean, we would expect God in this situation with Pharaoh to act like Pharaoh does. You would expect the Lord, powerful God, to use His might to force Pharaoh to obey Him, which He clearly could have done. But that's not the way God works. Well, to be sure, He could, and never think that while He's long-suffering and restraining now, one day He'll cease to do that. But right now, He's patient. And right now the Lord pleads and He convinces and He calls and He woos and He requests. And when those denials of God and rejections come, you trust the Lord. He is at work and He'll do all that He promised. It's a challenge to believe God when someone denies Him. It's also a challenge to believe God when His Word is discredited. It's a challenge to believe God when His Word is discredited. Pharaoh goes from this situation and his immediate goal is to discredit Moses. Look at verse 6. So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people, of their officers, saying, You shall no longer give the people straw 
to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves, and you shall lay on them a quota of bricks that they had before, and you'll not reduce it. Pharaoh doesn't just refuse to release Israel and acknowledge God. He makes their burdens worse. He doesn't just release their burden. He increases their burden. More bricks, less straw. It's a joke that we we throw around in the church office at times in our senior meetings. More bricks, less straw. Guys, you've got to produce more bricks, and I don't have any more straw to give you. I know there's no more time, there's no more resources, but you've got to get it done. And, and the idea here, there's a lot of people that give the speculation of what the, you know, what the straw issue was. You know, did the straw make the brick stronger? Was it allow, did the straw allow for less clay to be used? The straw probably did all of those things, but, but the straw was key. That it was key to allow those clay bricks to, uh, to allow the water to evaporate from the center of the brick. Um, allowed the water to seep out. Any, any of you who are bricklayers, you've seen the little ropes that they put in the bricklaying to allow the moisture to come out. And the straw in the midst of the bricks allowed the brick to bake in the sun and to, to dry evenly. If you ladies ever put a cake or something in the, in the oven and in the middle, you know, it, it, the challenge is to get it to bake evenly rather than burn on the outside and leave the inside, you know, doughy. It's the same way with the bricks. And the straw in there allowed the water to seep out and to to do so evenly. If if you didn't have the straw, you had a lot lot more broken bricks because they would just crack. And without the straw, you had twice as many broken bricks than you had. And so when Pharaoh stopped giving them the, the straw, it... It not only meant that Israel had to go out and find straw, and you'll notice if you read there, they couldn't find good straw. They had to find stubble, substandard straw, which led to substandard bricks, which led to more breakage. And so Pharaoh increased their labor on both ends. Finding straw, they had to settle for stubble, and they had to produce more bricks. Now, why does Pharaoh do this? Why does he do it? To be mean? Of course, he's a mean guy, but the text tells us. Look at verse 9. Let more work be laid upon them, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. You know why Pharaoh did what he did? He is trying to discredit the words of Moses. Do this so they'll not regard false words. Laziness is a sin. But if you work too much, it's easy to get distracted and forget about the Lord. And Pharaoh knows this, and he's using that, he's using that tactic, and he's also using this discouragement. He's trying to discredit Moses, and in doing so, discredit the word of Moses' God. Pharaoh wants to lead the people of Israel not to believe the words of Moses. And everything he's doing in this passage is designed to do that, to discredit the message of God. And here is where you really get the tension of the whole chapter. The chapter pivots on this 
on this verse, this concept. Will Israel obey Pharaoh or will Israel obey Yahweh? Will they listen to the words of Pharaoh or will they listen to the words of, of God? And that's really what it, it boils down to in any situation. When you're faced with the decision of listening to God or the other voices around you, Moses and Aaron were faced with believing God when things didn't go as planned. When they, when they strutted into Pharaoh's room, now they're challenged. Are they, it didn't go as planned. Are they going to believe? And you can see them start appealing to Pharaoh as if he has the power. Now Israel is faced with believing God when things got worse, not better. They prayed, God answered, He sends the deliverer. And they're not being delivered, they're being burdened. Moses is going to face the same temptation to believe the words of God when things go exactly as he feared they would go when he was arguing with God about whether to lead or not. And that's really where it boils down to. You're going to believe the words of God in those situations. Let me give you the third one. It's a challenge to believe God when, when you're demoralized. It's a challenge to believe God when others deny Him, especially those who have authority over you. It's a challenge to believe God when His Word is discredited. Wow, how many voices in our world today are attempting to discredit the Bible? It's not. A relationship between one man and one woman, it's all about love. It's not about whether God is the creator, it's about everything is evolved. And it's a challenge to believe God when you're demoralized. Pharaoh demoralizes Israel. Now don't miss this, this situation is bad. It's really bad. The brick quota has not been decreased. The workers are scattered all over Egypt trying to find straw. And with every section of brick that misses the mark, the foremen are beaten and the picture is bleak and that's exactly what Pharaoh wants. You've heard the D's of the devil, right? Doubt, discouragement, despair. Satan starts with doubting the, the Lord and then he moves you to discouragement and then from there he wants you to become to fall under despair and then ultimately despondent. What's the use? That's exactly what he's trying to do here. The picture is bleak and that's what Pharaoh wants. He's trying to demoralize them. In football, you will hear, you know, establish the run. Because if you establish the run game, then it opens up for passing. That's what they say at the beginning of the game. At the end of the game, you'll find that the run is used for a different purpose. Late in the third quarter and early in the fourth quarter, if you have a team that can run the ball, you'll, they'll just jam it down the opponent's throat. I mean, run the ball five yards. Get back up the defense, bows up again, run the ball six yards. And the intention is to demoralize the opponents, and that's what Pharaoh is doing. Look at verse 14. They can't meet the daily quota. The officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, when they were beating, they were asked. When they were beating them, why haven't you done what you're told, told to do? You haven't done it today. You haven't done it yesterday. While they're, while they're beating them. They're beaten with rods and words. And it 
is working. Look at verse 15. Now, do not miss this. And the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants. And they say, Make us brick. And indeed, your servants are, are beaten. Did you pick up what I wanted you to pick up there? What Moses is trying to emphasize? Listen to Exodus 2.23. This is a few chapters earlier. It came about in the course of many days that the king of Egypt died and the sons of Israel sighed because of their bondage and they cried out and their cry for help because of the bondage rose up to God. It's the same word. The only other time this phrase is used is at the Red Sea in Exodus 14.10 when the Egyptian army is approaching Israel and Israel cries out to the Lord again. And the Lord wants Israel to cry out to Him, and they are so demoralized by the situation. What do the foremans do? They cry out to Pharaoh. They don't cry out to God. And they even call themselves your servants, Pharaoh's servants. Look at verse 15 again. The officers and children of Israel cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There's no straw given to your servants. In just the last chapter, these are, Israel is my firstborn son, my people. I'm going to kill Pharaoh's firstborn son because he is treating my children this way. They identify themselves not as God's people, but with as Pharaoh's servants. The words of Jesus should come to your mind. No man can serve two masters. He'll hate the one and despise the one and love the other. And one of the, the great lessons that God teaches us as believers and brings us back to many times in life is that you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve the world and the Lord. And so He graciously puts you in situations so you'll trust Him. He's calling Israel to undivided loyalty. And difficult circumstances do that. You know, you say, I say I'll be loyal to God, but I know that I am when those opportunities and the test comes to prove it. That's why God brings it. The devil does it to tempt, to cause you to fail. God does it in testing to prove to you he already knows what you're going to do. The test is a privilege to shine the light of loyalty on God's worthiness. That's what it is. It's so everybody else in the world can see what you profess to know, that God is worthy to be trusted, even when you don't meet the brick quota, even when the taskmaster is beating you, even when it seems like the world is winning. God is worthy to be trusted. He's worthy to be trusted for who He is, but for practical reasons, He's worthy to be trusted because when you cry to the Lord, He answers. Pharaoh doesn't answer. Look at verse 17. Look at what Pharaoh says. When they submit to Pharaoh, cry to Pharaoh, call themselves your servants, Pharaoh says, you la you're lazy. Lazy! That's what he says. That's the word. Therefore, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go 
Therefore, go now and work, for no straw will be given to you. The foreman cried to Pharaoh for deliverance, and he doesn't deliver them. He increases their bondage. The ways of the world, the shortcuts of Satan, all lead to the same place, more bondage. Turn to Christ, and Jesus will set you free. Amen? False gods are unforgiving taskmasters. They have a certain appeal. At first, they promise you things, but all they do is exact a heavy toll. The children of Israel are learning that lesson right now. Look at Pharaoh's final words in verse 18. Therefore, go now and work. Go now and serve, is what the word means. Go now and serve. Serve me. Do you remember in the previous chapter? The people are to be let go so that they may serve the true and living God because they're serving Pharaoh right now. If it wasn't plain enough that the real battle here is between the gods of Egypt and the one true God, the Lord, you, that ought to seal the deal for you. Pharaoh is demanding Israel do the opposite rather than serve God, serve me. And that's exactly what sin and Satan demands. And neither will let you go easily. Serve me, is what sin says. Serve me, is what Satan says. And they lie and they promise to serve you, but in turn they make you a slave. It doesn't matter what it is, all the world has to offer, all of the promises, it promises to give you something, and then once you take the bait, it takes everything. Alcohol promises to serve you with a good time or some relaxation and then it enslaves you and gives you nothing but hardship and headache. Money promises to serve you with freedom and security, but if you chase it, if you turn to it, it enslaves you with labor and, the, and, a, and a bottomless pit. It's never enough. There's never enough. And yet the Lord Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Serve the Lord, and all these other things that you need will be added unto you. But that comes with a choice. And choose this day. Will you serve sin and Satan, or will you serve the Lord? It's a challenge to believe God when you're demoralized, when you're flat on your face, when you failed again. It's also a challenge to believe God when you're discouraged. It's a challenge to believe God when you're discouraged. Israel doubts the messenger. And Moses, in turn, doubts the Lord. Look at verse 20. So they go into Pharaoh. They bow to Pharaoh. They cry out to Pharaoh. They submit themselves as, their, as Pharaoh's servants. He gives them no deliverance, increases their bondage. And in verse 20, Moses and Aaron are positioned right outside of Pharaoh's door. And as the children of Israel, the foremen, come out, they meet. And the foreman said to Moses and Aaron, Let God, let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to kill us. You did this. 
is with their son. And the attention now turns to Moses and Aaron, and Satan doesn't just attack God's Word and God's people, he attacks God's messengers. You know, Satan loves to tempt God's people, doesn't he? He loves to torment God's leaders, and he delights when he can do both at the same time, when he can tempt God's people and torment God's leaders. When he can turn God's people against their leaders, he's won a great victory because discouragement is the common result. In verse 19, look back at verse 19, they recognize that they're in in trouble. The officers of Israel, the children of Israel, say that we're in trouble. And in verse 21, they say, and you know who the source of the trouble is? It's not the taskmasters, it's not Pharaoh, it's Moses and Aaron. That's who's brought this problem. Not our unbelief, but Moses and Aaron. Moses, who's given up much for his people, being told that he's wronged the people of God. And I mean, they say, we call God to bring judgment on you for doing this. That must have hurt. It's very discouraging, isn't it? When you're a believer and you're doing the right thing and others interpret your actions as wrong. Your good is evil spoken of, as the Bible puts it. And the foremen say that Moses and Aaron have caused them literally to stink in the eyes of Pharaoh. Better to stink before Pharaoh than to stink in the nostrils of God. Amen? Moses and Aaron are faithful, and yet they meet with immediate rejection and opposition from God's people. Now, the enemy's not Pharaoh. It's not out there. The enemy's inside the foxhole. It's inside the tent. And how... Is Moses going to deal with that? You can line up on the battlefield and know who the enemy is, but when the enemy is embedded, well, that's difficult. And yet the Lord uses everything. and Moses has to remember and learn. Does Moses learn? Look at Moses' response in verse 22. So Moses returns to the Lord. You can imagine how de- devastated He is after this encounter. And Moses returns to the Lord and he says, You know, Lord, servant is no greater than his master. If they rejected Jesus there, I should expect that they're going to reject me. I should have no better. If Jesus had twelve disciples and one of them was the devil, I should not think I have any better odds. Is that what Moses says here? Moses accuses the Lord. The people accuse Moses and Moses turns right back around and says, It's your fault, God. He doesn't even complain. It's an outright accusation. Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? And why is it that you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to the people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. Moses accused the Lord. Accuses the Lord, and that's exactly where doubt will lead. You, why did you harm these people? I mean, God, Moses says three things to God. You're responsible for this. You shouldn't have sent me. You failed to fulfill your promise, and you've made things worse. 
You you say that with great fear and trepidation. You may not even have the ability to utter those words to God in prayer, but you've thought it in your heart before. Moses here is acting as if he is the one with the heart of compassion for the people, not the Lord. Now remember, this is the guy God had to convince to even go to begin with, right? What What does Moses say? Oh yeah, I see the people suffering. I'm willing to lay down my life for them, God. Moses says... Send somebody else. And now Moses is going to the Lord. I came, I did what you wanted me to do, and you have brought evil on the people. I'm the caring one here. And we often do the same thing when we face trials. We face trials. We see those that we love face them. Our first reaction is to think, Lord, how could you have done this? Lord, I did everything right, everything I knew to do with my kids, and they still went south. Lord, why? Ligon Duncan said, For a moment Satan blinds us with the deviousness and wickedness of our own hearts and lets us believe that we are more compassionate than God. And that's precisely what Moses is doing here. Lord, if I were God, I wouldn't do this. And yet only a few days before, Moses had to be coached to come to the aid of his people. Who cares about the people of God more, God or Moses? There's no comparison. Who cares more about that person that you love that's in the midst of difficulty? You or the Lord? It's the Lord. God cares way more for you and way more for whoever else you love far more than you would or do. How does God respond? We'll have to pick that up next time. But look at verse 1 of chapter 6. Moses accuses the Lord, and then the Lord said to Moses, Lightning bolt from heaven, fry you right where you stand. The Lord says to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name I was made known to them. I've established the covenant with them, and I will give them the land that I promised, and I will deliver them, he goes on to say. Listen, while it's sin to accuse the Lord in your unbelief, even when you do, you will be met with mercy. Jesus does not quench the smoking flax. When your little light on the end of your candle gets so low that it's only smoldering, there's not even light or a flame there, and, and in the midst of that demoralization and doubt and discouragement, and you throw up your hands, God doesn't come along and go, now I don't have to deal with them anymore. He comes back. He blows on the ember. He usually brings some other wood along to encourage you. And he refires that flame there because he's a gracious and compassionate God. Cry to the Lord, He'll answer. Sin and Satan and Pharaoh, all He'll do is give you more burden and no deliverance. Would you bow your heads?
The whole story of the book of Exodus is so that people will know the Lord. Egypt will know that Yahweh is God. They'll know through sovereign judgment. Israel will know that the Lord is God through mercy and redemption. But no matter what, everyone's going to know that the Lord, He is God. This is a time in our service when you get to respond. And you're here and you, you no doubt have found yourself in one of those situations, maybe even now, where someone is, you're challenged to believe God in a situation. Maybe somebody denying Him, somebody's word being discredited, you may be demoralized, you may be discouraged. And what God wants you to do is turn to Him, cry out to Him, trust Him. He won't let you down. And He understands that your frame is but dust. Father, as we bow in Your presence and searching our own hearts, Lord, we thank You that You respond in the way that we see You responding to Moses. In our humanness, we expect You to respond differently. We expect You to bring the hammer down. We expect You to cast us aside, to snuff out the wick. And yet, Lord, You are not like man. You are not like us. You are long-suffering and patient. And when we turn to You, even in our sin, it's met with mercy. And I pray, Father, for everyone here struggling, challenging, being challenged to believe You, give them strength to believe You, give them faith to believe You. Encourage them today. Keep them from giving up. Keep me, Lord. Father, I pray that there's someone here who's serving the slave master, Satan, sin, maybe they started for something that was going to promise them even a need, and now it's enslaved them. I pray you deliver them through Christ. I pray that they would take the yoke of Jesus upon them, that even this day they would bow the knee to Him and cry out, Lord Jesus, save me, and that they would find freedom in Him. I pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.